Professor Charles Kennell, thank you very much indeed for talking to the implications of regional climate variability on water resources in Africa podcast series today. As as co-chairman of this three-day event, it's been hugely successful, hasn't it? Oh, yes, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, It was hugely successful because it brought together people that usually don't speak to one another. It brought together within the university world... uh, uh, meteorologists, social scientists, uh, people interested in water. Uh, it brought uh, us a number of colleagues that we'd never met before from Africa. Uh, we had colleagues from Australia and around the world. It was an extraordinarily interesting conference. Yeah. And there was a commonality, wasn't there, in seeing this research and hearing people talk. You know, the themes, you talked about the themes being about village as well as about national and regional social policy. Yes, yes, indeed. In fact, this is the second of two conferences. Our first, which we held in La Jolla in California, was devoted to the implications for water availability of the melting of the snows in California's Sierra Nevada and in the Himalayas, where two billion people depend on that water. Here, the conference was also on uh, what will happen to water supplies under climate change circumstances when different regions um, will experience, have different experiences. The dry areas will get drier, the wet areas will get stormier, and so on. And uh, the two, both India and Africa, are very different. But one common theme emerged. And the common theme was that uh, objective knowledge, scientific information about what is going on, can play a very big role in supporting decision-making at the local level where it will have to be made. But the second part of the story was that the knowledge cannot be conveyed in the form that scientists do so as numbers and data, but in fact it must be communicated right down to the village level uh, in terms that the village leaders who may have to adapt to these changes in terms that they can understand. And that's very much been the theme of the presentations, isn't it? People have been collecting data, they've been emphasising the need to have historical data to, to compare and contrast this data so that you can get new adaptations to climate change, even if it's ev- different times yeah. for planting crops. Yeah. We cannot, uh, because the climate is changing, you can't use your past experience as a guide to your decision-making in the future. And the only thing that is available at the present time are, however imperfect, the, the projections that, uh, for future climate that we currently make. And so, therefore, the issue of giving people guidance about which plants to crop, uh, to plant for crops, uh, when they should do so, when the seasons will start and end, all of that now depends on the provision of scientific knowledge. But it has to get down to the working level uh, and it must be translated and explained in terms that the people in the regions understand and applied directly to them. They don't care about the weather on the other side of the Himalayas. They care about the monsoon in India. And uh, so both affect the snowpack and both are interested in the climate scientists. But I'm interested only in how much water is going to be in my stream next year. Why Africa? Why have we focused the theme of this conference on on water and Africa, whether it's flooding or whether it's drought? 
there seems to be an urgency with Africa. Yes, indeed. Well, I think Africa is, uh, in terms of human development, the most troubled of our uh, continents. It's just beginning to develop its uh, its economies. Uh, its population growth is the most rapid in the world. There are vast movements of population from countryside to the city. This is leading to resource depletion, environmental degradation, uh, and, of course, social and economic problems are at the forefront. And for them, climate change sits way in the background. It's something that's going to happen 20 years from now. And they need, uh, if they don't solve their problems today, we don't help them, then uh, in 20 years' time, when their environment changes, they will uh, be less able to cope with the changes then. And so for Africa, development and climate change adaptation are two sides of the same coin. And there's no doubt in your mind that it is climate change variation that's leading to these problems with water in Africa? Uh, no, some of them, many of them are, are human caused. They're caused by the growth in population and imperfect social systems. Uh, and some of them are caused by, by uh, climate change. And climate change will... If, Uh, As a society, you are weakened by your own problems, and then in addition, you run into uh, more massive droughts, then your ability to cope will be diminished. But population change and cutting family size would help? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. That was one of the discussions in our our conference. Um, I believe that there's a, a demographic transition in progress in which the rate of growth the population is indeed slowing down, but uh, any, uh, in my personal view, any efforts you could do to accelerate that process would have great environmental benefits downstream. If we look at the role of public policy, does public policy pick up on the research that is being done at this village or community level and, and then affect change, lead people to adapt to climate change? I, th- I think... Uh, the question of how public policy responds to scientific knowledge is uh, right at the forefront in Western societies and is not perfectly solved. The problem is significantly worse uh, in in the third world countries. But I think we in the first world have a major interest uh, in seeing, in accelerating the, the whole process of delivering science-based knowledge for the, the purpose of decision-making. We cannot, the world cannot afford for the two billion people who depend on Himalayan water to see the, see the Asian water system fail. Similarly, we can't see, uh, we, we, the world cannot tolerate uh, you know, further uh, uh, similar things that might occur in Africa. So we, we all collectively share an interest. Uh, the consequences of a failure in those water systems would affect us Uh, shortly after they occur in the regions themselves. And indeed it's that personal necessity, that personal need to adapt and change at a family level that leads to to innovation. Are there any stories, anything you've observed in in your career where where you think, well, that's a local change, but actually it's going to make a a huge difference? Now that's... That's a tough one. I've spent most of my life as a space scientist, and I looked at the globe from the from the top down. Um, but what I'll tell you what I saw here. It hasn't quite got to the local level, but I do believe there's 
people talk of an African Renaissance. And what I saw here from our African colleagues were a small number of them, but very well trained and fully aware of the, uh, of the science and the capability of handling it. Uh, and they had already begun to translate into terms pertinent to their own country the results of the global science that have been done by the Intergovernmental Panel. And so they were beginning to take uh, responsibility for specializing the knowledge to their own situation. Uh, and they were the ones who were saying that they should take the lead in seeing that that knowledge gets translated into terms that are meaningful at the village level. And so I think uh, one of the most hopeful things was to see that there are people down there now who understand not enough of them and not well enough supported, but they are there. And so now we can create a social network that links the elite research universities like Cambridge and UC San Diego, uh, assembles government support from our Met offices and so forth, and basically uh, links it in a network sense down to those people who will then take the job in hand of communicating locally with their decision makers. And that neatly brings us back to the beginning of the interview, at the end of the interview, which what you said was unique about this event, that's that right. it did have that social d dimension as well as a deeply academic that, that, one. That's right. And I think in some ways, uh, when, when the climate change problem first uh, emerged, the scientific community developed the integrated assessment, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, to review the state of knowledge about climate change on a regular basis. This affected global decision makers. But they invented a new social technology for science, the integrated assessment. And I believe that what we are doing here is inventing the next version of that social technology, which is, in fact, to take the, the results of science and engineering and knowledge and so on and find a way uh, in a collaboration with people all over the world to translate it into terms that are meaningful in the vast numbers of localities around the world that will be differently affected by climate change. And finally, Professor Kennell, uh, I know the answer to this question, which was going to be, are you an optimist or a pessimist in terms of climate change? Um, you said that you have to be optimistic, even if I think your own words were that... that people say to you, um, why are you burdening, burdening me with this knowledge? Yeah. And my answer to such people is, uh, we got ourselves into this problem. Uh, it's partly a result of an enormous success of global society in the last century, which was to produce rapid economic development in many parts of the world. And we see that in India and in China. We see it beginning in, in Africa. And the side effect of that success has been an overuse of resources, and it has been, uh, uh, amongst other things, climate change. It's a global problem. We all created it. We all are going to get ourselves out of it. If we could get ourselves into it, we can get ourselves out of it. And not a hint of pessimism? Of course. One of them uh, is a very personal one. I might not live to see some of the things happen that... Uh, promising things that were discussed here. They may take a while, but I think people will get there, and I'm very optimistic uh, by the, res the human response that we got from all the participants in the conference. And the energy in the conference. Oh, yes, yes, indeed, that's it, of course.
Professor Charles Kennell, thank you very much indeed for talking to the implications of regional climate variability on water resources in Africa podcast series today. I've enjoyed it very much and congratulations on your conference. Well, thank you very much.